By way of introduction, we've been a while away from our study here, but uh, by way of introduction, I could make no better introduction to remind you our course and what we're doing than, uh, than to read you the words from page 105 uh, in uh, Goldsberg's uh, text that we're using. He says, It is important that we understand very clearly that this fact of the Old Testament's progression towards a fulfillment in the new is not merely an invitation to understand Jesus Christ as the end of the process. It is also to demand that the whole Bible, the whole Bible, be understood in the light of the gospel. It means that Jesus Christ is the key to the interpretation of the whole Bible. And the task before us is to discern how he interprets the Bible. That is our whole purpose for all that we're doing in this study is simply to show you that this fact, that is the, it is a progressive revelation. It is a progression uh, of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and not just that, not just that the story ends with Christ, but that the whole, the whole Bible is the revelation of Christ. It is about Christ and the gospel, that wonderful term that I make so much of so very often because I so much love it, the gospel. The gospel wasn't invented <laughs> in the New Testament. The gospel wasn't a, uh, a uh, plan B that God designed somewhere in that 400 years between Malachi and, and the New Testament. Uh, the gospel was not a new thing. God decided to do in the earth the gospel the, the word of God is the gospel it is the story of Christ it is the unfolding revelation of Christ from the very beginning what is the gospel look at page 106 essentially there's a paragraph he begins he says essentially the gospel is a declaration of what God has done, has done for us in Jesus Christ, rather than what God does in the believer, although we may not separate the two. It is the objective historical facts of the coming of Jesus in the flesh and the God-given interpretation of those facts when Peter preached the gospel at Pentecost, he was quick to divert attention from what God had done in the apostles by the giving of the Holy Spirit and to concentrate on the facts concerning Jesus of Nazareth. The facts are those of the incarnation, of the perfect life of Jesus of Nazareth, of his dying and rising from the grave. The interpretation of the facts is that this took place for us men and for our salvation. In these two simple statements of fact and interpretation, we sum up the breadth and depth 
of biblical revelation. Now across the page, he says the gospel declares that Jesus has done that Jesus has done this for us. For God to be righteous, he must deal with our sin. This also he has done for us in Jesus. The holy law of God was lived out perfectly for us by Christ. And its penalty was paid perfectly for us by Christ. This living and dying of Christ for us. And this alone is the basis of our acceptance with God. We, it was all done for us in Christ so that we may say that in Christ there is the total fulfillment of all of those Old Testament images. Now, again, just making that statement presupposes, or at least is the context of that statement, is the continuity of the gospel. I mean, if Christ was the fulfillment of these Old Testament types and shadows, then when Christ comes, this is no new message. This is no new message. This is the fulfillment of the same message that has been declared from Genesis uh, in that proto-evangelum uh, there in Genesis uh, when uh, the serpent and, and, and the heel and all of that, that was the proto-evangelum. That's the same message that was declared by the coming of Christ. And it was culminated in him, but it was not a new message. It was the message from the very beginning. In Christ, in Christ, however, we may say that in Christ there is the total fulfillment of all of those Old Testament images. And uh, Goldsworthy is keen to point out that there are three key elements, as we have seen over and over and over in his writing. He emphasizes this fact of the three key elements to the kingdom of God. The first is the people. The people. Uh, and of course, those people down through time were Abraham. He, page 111, he goes through Abraham. Then from Abraham through David, he's going through the genealogies uh, from Abraham through David. And, uh, and uh, of course, then uh, coming of Christ himself. And all this scriptures he gives here of uh, where it's the fulfillment. It's said to be the fulfillment uh, of the, all of those prophecies and all that's done. All these had to do with the people. Page 112, he says, These various identities of Christ establish one clear point. Jesus Christ is the head of the new race. All who are united to him are members of that race, but only because he is that race. Thus, whoever is in Christ is a new creation, 
That is, he belongs to the new order of which Christ is the head. So the people in the kingdom of God, Goldsworthy has always pointed out these three elements. The first element is the people. Who are these people? They are those who were in Christ. These are the people. And then there is the place or the location. You remember that. Bottom of page 114. The idea is developed even further. Jesus is God and man in closest union. The very being of Jesus is the most perfect relationship of God and man. Thus, when Jesus disputes with the Jews over his cleansing of the temple, he purposes as a sign of his authority, uh, he proposes as a sign of his authority, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. His opponents are obsessed by the old order and can think only of the bricks and mortar of Herod's temple. But John tells us that Jesus was referring to his own body as the temple and that it was his resurrection from the dead which made the disciples the key to what he had said. These images of locality, okay, now he's dealing with place. These images of locality, garden, land, city, temple, all reach their fulfillment in the gospel. For the New Testament, the locality of the kingdom of God is Jesus Christ himself. And lest we be uh, misled by a misplaced and unbiblical emphasis, Jesus Christ is shown as risen and seated on the right hand of God in the heavenly Places. So there is in this gospel, remember what he's doing right here in this chapter is he's expounding the notion of what, what is the gospel. It contains these three elements, still contains these same three elements. There is the people of God, that's those that are in Christ. There is the place. The place in the New Testament, the fulfillment of the New Testament is the person of Christ, wherever Christ is, where Christ is, that is the place of the kingdom of God. And thirdly, there is his rule. His rule among the people is fulfilled in the New Testament by his dwelling in his people. Bottom of page 115, he says, the prophetic hope saw not a different covenant ruling the restored people, but a newly applied covenant written on men's hearts so that there would be a perfect compliance with God's character and will. So the his rule now is not in a physical city, Jerusalem. It's not in a physical land, Palestine. His rule now is in the hearts of his people. He indwells them. And from there he rules. So there's all these elements. The people, the place, the rule. We've seen those three elements as he scanned for us the Old Testament. We saw this kingdom of God in each of the different phases. In Adam's, in Adam and then Abraham and David right on down through. And every person we looked at, we saw these three elements of the kingdom of God unfolding, further unfolding in this world.
the new covenant, he says a word that I think is important concerning this new covenant and the law. Bottom of 116. The most detailed exposition of the gospel as the new covenant of Jeremiah is given in Hebrews 8 through 9. In saying, as the writer does, that the new covenant is so much better than the old, which has become obsolete, he is in no way implies that the old is unconnected with the new. Right? That's, that's the important point here. Because the new replaced the old, does not mean that they, and, and Hebrews even makes the point that it's better. But that does not mean it's unconnected from the old. In fact, he establishes the new by showing how it achieves perfectly what the old could only foreshadow. Those who see a radical discontinuity between old and new often support their position with such statements as Romans 6.14, you are not under the law but under grace. We've already dealt with the law as covenant a fact established by Jeremiah 31. So New Testament references to the place of the law are important. The proper context of such passages showing distinction are those which show unity. Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill Matthew 5, 17 through 20. The law remains the standard of God's righteousness, Romans 2, 13. Faith does not overthrow the law, but upholds it, Romans 3, 31. Thus it was to the fulfill the demands and the penalty of the law that Jesus died, lived and died. The fact that we cannot, we cannot do it ourselves does not remove the demand. And if we believe Christ did it for us, we will uphold the demand. All right? One of the great Weaknesses we we see. We I'm talking about this church as a body and our theological position, if you want to call it that, where we differ greatly with much of what has come to be called reformed in our day, reformed Baptist, reformed whatever, is that they throw out the law. Absolutely and completely throw out the law. They are positively antinomian. We don't believe that. Christ fulfilled the law. And this statement, I like the way uh, Goldsworthy put it. He said the fact that we cannot do it ourselves, that is keep the law ourselves, does not remove the demand. And if we believe Christ did it for us, we will uphold the demand. So we see the law as still being the reflection of God's character, which we are obligated to uphold, to maintain, and to honor, and seek to obey. Now, the remainder of this chapter, chapter 9, sets forth Goldworthy's 
prophetic position, which in reading it, I take him to be amillennial. I'm not sure about that, uh, but I'm not uh, going to cover that area because that is not the focus of our study. Uh, that is to establish any particular uh, any any particular prophetic view uh, eschatology. We are historical premillennial. This church is historical premillennial, which my understanding, that's what Dr. Gill taught. I don't know if he used that term or not. I've never read it. But the position he describes himself uh, is the position we now call uh, historical premillennial uh, position. And uh, I think Goldsworthy was amillennial. Uh, but despite uh, the accusations of some some people's families, we don't forbid people to read <laughs> uh, positions which are not in keeping with our own. We encourage you to do that so that you may see what's wrong with them. <laughs> but uh, uh, seriously, we we uh, uh, the, he covers in the rest of that chapter. He covers his his eschatology, which I I have no interest in. So. We'll leave it off there. Next week, we're going to take up what is a very vital and and good subject uh, for us to take up. We're going to take up this chapter 10, the principles of interpretation, hermeneutics. We'll talk a little bit about hermeneutics and how that applies to this, this matter of continuing revelation. Continuing revelation. Till you get to the end of the book of Revelation. And so we'll leave it there. Short class today. Any questions or comments? Right. 
think I said two weeks ago. All of these other things that we refer to, and that Goldsworthy refers to actively, obviously, garden, Israel, city, temple, what have you, all of those things were merely typological of this reality, which is Jesus Christ himself and his people, not an earthly people, but his spiritual people, and his rule over them have always been the true kingdom, capital test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, it's, again, I'm just restating what I've said before, that if we're not careful in the way we're writing sentences, it can come across even unintentionally when he's trying to say one thing that he's undermining that, if you will, by saying something different. It is not just in the New Testament. It has been from the beginning that Jesus Christ himself is the king over the kingdom of a spiritual people. King was spiritual. The kingdom was and is spiritual. And that ultimately leads you to the continuity of the covenant. There, there is the continuity of faith. All of these covenants as we refer to them plural in the scriptures are, are simply demonstrations, maybe the best word, of that one single covenant that is referred to in the book of Hebrews as the everlasting covenant. It is one covenant. It is only and ever had one king, Jesus Christ himself, one people, spiritual people, and one place of rule, which is heaven. And all of the other covenants and the outworkings of them have been to some part of that typological of a picturing that one larger truth, that one reality. Typologically. Right. Yeah, he made the, he kind of hemmed himself in by saying, the New Testament. In the New Testament, uh, for the New Testament, locality of the kingdom is Jesus Christ. Any other comment or question? All right.